Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, according to the National Renewable Energy Lab, there are about 70 million residential and commercial buildings in the U.S. that are suitable for solar PV, for rooftop solar. SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, estimates right now that there's about 1.6 million systems that have already been installed. So we just kind of like haven't even scratched the surface, less than 2%. So big question is, how long will it take for us to get to, say, 10 million solar systems? Or 35 million. 35 million would be about half the capacity. Well, one of Yogi Berra's pearls of wisdom is it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. But we can make some educated guesses. There's something called the technology adoption life cycle. It talks about how fast new products are accepted by the market. And to talk about the solar adoption life cycle, our guest on this week's show is Jamie Johnston, director at Vector Structural Engineering. He's an industry thought leader and extremely passionate about solutions to the slow motion global warming train wreck. Now, his company Vector provides residential and commercial solar certification letters for over 100 companies in the U.S. We use them at Cinnamon Energy Systems. They're licensed in every state, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico. And they can turn residential certification letters around in as, in as little as a single business day. So welcome to the show, Jamie. Barry, this is fun. I, uh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. All right, great. So first, tell us a little bit more about Vector Engineering. Vector's an interesting firm. It was founded in 2002 by a handful of engineers and a couple draftsmen um, to, you know, to just do standard structural engineering work. About 2010, they, uh, they got into solar, but interestingly enough, they had been doing a lot of work in the telecom sector, which had a lot of similarities to the solar sector, so they were really well positioned to uh, to to kind of take advantage of it. They were licensed in every state. Um, I met Roger Allworth, the principal engineer there, when I sold him a solar system with battery backup. I was working for a for a regional installer called Progressive Power Solutions out of Orem, Utah, and uh, and Roger, you know, Roger was building a new house and he wanted a system and he wanted battery backup, and so I sold it to him. And uh, a few years later, I sold him a system for his office building. And a couple of years after that, he hired me. Wow. All right. Good. So now you're really, really helping companies get through the, the uh, permitting hassles. And, and, you know, by the way, I've been working with uh, Wilmer and Lucas today on a ground mount permit that they've been quite helpful with at Cinnamon Energy Systems. But all right. Enough about the solar stuff. Let's talk about this innovation adoption life cycle that you and I have been discussing. What is that life cycle? Well, humans are, are really quite predictable, and fortunately, we've got good social sciences that track what we do. And along about mid-century, um, they were tracking the uptake of technology in uh, Midwest agricultural sales. And uh, out of this has grown a host of studies that say, now you have to remember that First of all, anybody on, and I don't know a lot about venture capitalists, but I've heard tell that on Sand Hill Road, if a product uh, is developed and sold out into the market, and then if you go back in six months and ask people, what if we gave you your money back and you give us the product back? If they say yes, 
run, cut your losses, that's not going to work. On the other hand, if they say, you know, over my dead body or some derivation thereof, then you've got a hit on your hand. Well, solar's got a hit on its hands. We all know that that uh, very, very few people are unhappy with their solar systems. Um, they love them. They're, they're, they're magic. So uh, we're now getting to the point where the herd behavior, in other words, the behavior, and they, they break this, this herd, the buying the, and the buying uh, impulses into innovators. Those are the guys like Roger who just see something. And, and in, the, in the 50s, these were the, they were the more mature farmers, better off. They saw a good technology, and they bought it because they recognized it would be of great benefit to them. So those are the innovators. They just get it. They don't need anybody's corroboration, or they're they're not looking for a for a thought leader or a key influencer to say, yeah, you could, we could, you should do this. So, so um, are we are we kind of at that stage now with solar, or still with the innovators, or we've kind of got into the early adopter phase? I would argue that we're right on the cusp, and I think that Barry, I think you and I could could probably agree that. One of the things that we certainly heard at SIA was that the cost per installed watt in the U.S. was higher than it was in some other countries like Australia, for example. And this, I think, is attributable to the sales cycle, and we probably are going to see a new, a new sales pitch that is tailored to the 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 psychological profile, if you will, of this next group called the early adopters. So maybe they're going to move a little bit faster. It's it's interesting that we're talking about the the pricing because there was just an article in Utility Dive today about you know how low can solar prices go? And I, I kind of made a comment last year that the lowest I can see them going is about $2.5 a watt. And now I kind of look at it and say, gee, even if solar panels were free, even if the inverters were free, I, it's hard to get down to $2 a watt just because of all the bureaucratic barriers and the, the, the labor costs and the permitting and the delays, the typical time that it takes to put in a system at, at a lot of the biggest companies is like three or four months. And they're all external delays. It's not like there's any uncertainty. It's just like, you know, the, the permitting takes forever. Believe it or not, it takes almost a year to get approval from our local utility for a battery storage system. That's insane. So, you know, we have a lot of room to improve. So is streamlining these barriers going to get us to move into this bigger early adapter and early majority phase? Barry, I've come to the solar world, as you well know, from a little bit different perspective than uh, than many of the of the people in the in the solar industry right now. Because I came from from architecture and land use and uh, smart use of resources. I think that one of the things that we are we kind of await is the incorporation of solar and battery backup and uh, probably DC-based low-voltage systems, and I imagine California 2020 is really going to make a difference in the U.S., but I would argue that the place that it's going to probably make the biggest difference the soonest may be in India, or at least in developing nations. Yeah, they have. They can move a lot faster. They have lower labor costs, and you know a lot of these developing nations don't have the 
the, the codes and the standards and the restrictions that, that are just clobbering us here in the U.S. Not that we don't need them, but, you know, uh, almost all experienced quality installers and all the, all the equipments you are listed. So, you know, as long as you do your wiring and your grounding and you screw them into the roof right, it's, it's just going to work. But, boy, you know, when I kind of look at this adoption life cycle, how does it vary throughout the country? I mean, California's got a lot of systems. Alaska doesn't have many. Are the costs well, going to be no different? question, and I... I saw, I can't remember who did it, but I saw somebody who plotted all of the states on their various positions within a theoretical adoption life cycle curve. And and you're absolutely right. Some states are behind, some states are ahead. But I would argue that that's probably a temporary uh, kind of just the market's getting hip to it. But in a decade, say, I can hardly imagine builders uh, building houses without a great deal of solar just integrated into the system, LED lights on a low-voltage line, and, and a number of your appliances. I mean, you know, you're, why, why not? It just, we're, we're back to the kind of Tesla v. Edison uh, current wars, and it's, it's going to be an interesting transition. Yeah, I, I kind of, the, the best example that I can think of as far as this transition is the way in which <laughs> fetters and carrier got, got air conditioning to proliferate throughout the U.S. I mean, there's southern states and southern cities that basically would be almost nowhere. I mean, you know, think about Atlanta, how big a, a city that is right now. But if, you, if we didn't have the invention of air conditioning, you wouldn't have a lot of high-rise buildings with people working away there. It's just because it would just be too hot. And, and I think... Solar is going to be the same way. You don't need air conditioning in Alaska, just like you don't need as much solar in a place where electricity is really, really cheap. Barry, your point is is uh, is well taken in that there is no kind of ubiquitous solution. They're all a kind of think globally and then act locally solution. Because let's face it, in uh, in the east where you have heavy tree cover, the idea of, of community solar makes abundant sense. In the West, where there's less tree cover and you don't have to worry about this and you can put them on houses, there's, you know, there's another argument. There are all sorts of different kind of region-specific decisions. But, I, but ultimately, I think what will happen is that all of a sudden sustainability, which I call generational awareness, and we can go into that another day, but uh, but sustainability will become cool. Yeah, you know, that, I think and, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a, a mental change, not a mental change, but a sociological change where people are going to be concerned about sustainability instead of, um, you know, all these arguments about, and they're important arguments, but all these arguments about coal and, and solar and wind and you know, fossil fuels. Okay, so, Jamie, we've got a good introduction to the product life cycle. Let's talk about how long it's going to take for solar to penetrate, say, half of the market. Perry, eek! I can tell you exactly how long it's going to take. All right. When you, <laughs> PG&E, 45 cents, 6 to 7 cents. The moment that becomes a 10x, it's, as, as the moment it becomes a 90% improvement, that becomes the thing that changes the perception of the market. 
and and this is not my my speculation. This is this is a fact. But and you know we didn't plan this, but I lived, ate, slept, and breathed utility rates. And at 10x, the game changes. Well, yeah, and, and you know, there's a Silicon Valley venture investors are saying if the new technology is ten times better than the old technology, it's it's a slam dunk. The dilemma is we've got an incumbent monopoly. That's fighting tooth and claw. I mean, uh, you know, Calsa is the solar organization in California. We're always fighting against PG&E, and their, you know, their next tactic, and we're working on it in 2019, is they're going to try and eliminate net metering. So instead of saving 45 cents, they're going to probably raise the rates to 50 cents, but they're going to say you can only get 25 cents if you run your meter backwards with solar. So that's an ongoing battle. But you know, we will definitely win because the cost trend for solar and solar storage just keeps coming down faster and faster. Barry, I will commend to you a, book, a uh, white paper published by Schneider called Growing a Green Corporation. And I think it describes what you just described, which is the virtual inevitability of the barriers of the past giving way to the ways of the future. Yeah, yeah, it's inevitable. And, and you know, hats off to the utilities and PG&E especially because they've been the best solar the utility that I've encountered in the country when it comes to solar. But you know, so their cost structure is just way too high. And they can put in solar; they're buying solar at three cents a kilowatt hour. But gee, the average rates in California are twenty two cents. So you know, there's kind of your 10 x difference. But the customers aren't benefiting from it. All right, let me kind of look at this not just from solar's perspective, but let's talk about the way the industry itself is going to evolve. What implication does this large degree of market penetration have for ancillary services, such as solar cleaning or maintenance of systems? I would argue that we're entering an entirely new economy, and those are are what are, I think, commonly referred to as long-tail activities, businesses that emerge in support of the industry. For that matter, vector structural engineering is a long-tail thing. We handle a very, very narrow part of the whole process, but, you know, we've scaled up. We have 40-plus engineers, and so we do that. Um, and and it, so, so the installers don't have to make that investment. So I think we're, we're going to see this parsed out in a lot of different bites. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense. There's going to be a lot of little businesses and, and medium and big businesses, you know, as the market grows. I mean, think about the car industry. A hundred years ago, there weren't independent maintenance shops for cars, and now, you know, it's always been a really big business. But you know, car maintenance may diminish a little bit if we move towards electric vehicles that just simply require less maintenance, which is, you know, another technological process. So talking about these technologies, what's going to happen with the whole concept of the solar penetration and the solar life cycle when it morphs into, say, solar to solar and storage. Does that change the position on the curve for customers? I think it changes the buying process. In other words, I think that part of the kind of the the remaining connect, not a disconnect uh, that the industry has, but the remaining connection is to say, okay, here's your solar energy. Here's what you do with it. Here becomes the the discussion of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, of of a cleaner environment where you have not only your solar system and your system, but those circuits that are purpose-built for any number of different 
processes, appliances. You know, if you look at, take take the goal zero model and say, okay, we're going to have a rack of batteries, and you just pull out a battery and it goes for the blender or it goes for this or it goes for that, and it's all DC. You don't need AC for that. Yeah, that's going to change. The way I kind of look at it is batteries are just going to add to the cost of solar a little bit. Now it adds a lot because we're at an early stage of the market. It's just going to add a little bit, and then it's going to slow things down a little bit. But then you know, batteries are going to be just as standard on a system as monitoring is right now. 20 years ago, monitoring was not really part of a solar system. Well, and, and batteries, I think, are going to take... A different form. I mean, we know they're going to take the form of your automotive battery, which becomes a huge online reserve for the national grid. So, so batteries become something, and it. I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that uh, ener- units of energy might be a unit of trade. Yeah, that's going to happen. I mean, the utilities have been talking about this thing called d- distributed energy resources. And, you know, they want to distribute it through their substations, but customers also can do that. They can turn off their air conditioning. They can preheat their hot water when there's plenty of electricity. They can discharge their battery if there's an event on the grid that requires more power. That's one of the interesting things that's going to happen with communications. And, you know, solar is by far and away the biggest way of, of, of providing that really super localized power. Yeah, I, we we don't have time to discuss it at this point, but in view of California 2020, I would love to spend some time talking with you about what the architecture, I mean, right down to the what you're going to build the houses out of, um, what impact that will have on global developments. And I will argue that's a, that's a probably a $12 trillion, $350 billion a year market for the U.S. to be looking at. Yeah. And, and a lot of it kind of requires us to cycle through the housing and the, the building stock, which is a, you know, it's a 50 to 100 year process. But, but as far as this innovation life cycle that we're talking about, what implications does it have for vector engineering? How does this affect your business? For us, it's great news because Vector had been in business for a number of years before we decided to grow solar into a division, and we've stress-tested the system. I mean, one day we said, hey, I wonder what we could do in an hour. And so we just asked all the engineers in the place, and there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a couple floors full of them. And uh, they did 147 um, letters that was commercial and residential in one hour. So, and we're we're routinely handling 150 jobs a day. So that's 150 jobs across the nation. We have the ability, and the nice thing about Vector is we have the boring stuff. We know how to store people's jobs in perpetuity. And when you got 3,000 customers, that's no small task. Um, we have, you know, we have all of those kind of boring structural things that that we need. So we can we can go to five times what we've got. We know where to get the people to hire. We know the colleges. We know the administrative people. I mean, we've been we've been locked into this little corridor in, in Utah, but it's a, some very fine schools, and they turn out great engineers, and we, we kind of get first pick of the ones we want. Yeah, I like to tell everybody how exciting engineering can be. My niece is a structural engineer, and she's building skyscrapers in New York City, so that's kind of cool. How can people get in touch with Vector Engineering? 
easy. www.vectorsolar is my is the solar division, and Vector S E V E C T O R S E dot com is the Vector Structural Engineers. And uh, if, if you go to the website, you'll find us. All right, terrific. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Jamie, for joining us, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 